With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chapter 16 of The White Company. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Clive Catterall. The White Company by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Chapter 16 How the Yellow Cog Fought the Two Rover Galleys The three vessels had been sweeping swiftly westwards, the cog still well to the front, although the galleys were slowly drawing in upon either quarter. To the left was a hard skyline, unbroken by a sail. The island already lay like a cloud behind them, while right in front was St. Alban's head, with Portland looming mistily in the farthest distance. Alan stood by the tiller, looking backwards, the fresh wind full in his teeth, the crisp winter air tingling on his face, and blowing his yellow curls from under his bassinet. His cheeks were flushed, and his eyes shining, for the blood of a hundred fighting Saxon ancestors was beginning to stir in his veins. "'What was that?' he asked as a hissing, sharp-drawn voice seemed to whisper in his ear. The steersman smiled, and pointed with his foot to where a short, heavy crossbow quarrel stuck quivering in the boards. At the same instant the man stumbled forward upon his knees, and lay lifeless upon the deck, a blood-stained feather jutting out from his back. As Alan stooped to raise him, the air seemed to be alive with the sharp zip-zip of the bolts, and he could hear them pattering on the deck, like apples at a tree-shaking. "'Raise two more mantlets by the poop-lantern,' said Sir Nigel quietly. "'And another man to the tiller!' cried the master shipman. "'Keep them in play, Aylward, with ten of your men,' the knight continued, "'and let ten of Sir Oliver's bowmen do as much for the Genoese. I have no mind as yet to show them how much they have to fear from us.' Ten picked shots under Aylward stood in line across the broad deck, and it was a lesson to the young squires, who had seen nothing of war, to note how orderly and how cool were these old soldiers, how quick the command and how prompt the carrying out, ten moving like one. Their comrades crouched beneath the bulwarks with many a rough jest and many a scrap of criticism or advice. "'Higher, Wat, higher! Put thy body into it, Will! Forget not the wind, Hal!' So ran the muttered chorus while high above it rose the sharp twanging of the strings, the hiss of the shafts, and the short, "'Draw your arrow! Nick your arrow! Shoot wholly together!' from the master bowman. And now both mangonels were at work from the galleys, 
but so covered and protected that, save at the moment of discharge, no glimpse could be caught of them. A huge brown rock from the Genoese sang over their heads, and plunged sullenly into the slope of a wave. Another from the Norman whizzed into the waist, broke the back of a horse, and crashed its way through the side of the vessel. Two others, flying together, tore a great gap in the St. Christopher upon the sail, and brushed three of Sir Oliver's men-at-arms from the forecastle. The master shipman looked at the knight with a troubled face. "'They keep their distance from us,' said he. "'Our archery is over-good, and they will not close. "'What defence can we make against the stones?' "'I think I may trick them,' the knight answered cheerfully, and passed his order to the archers. Instantly five of them threw up their hands, and fell prostrate upon the deck. One had already been slain by a bolt, so that there were but four upon their feet. "'That should give them heart,' said Sir Nigel, eyeing the galleys, which crept along on either side, with a slow, measured swing of their great oars, the water swirling and foaming under their sharp stems. "'They still hold aloof!' cried Hortain. "'Then down with two more!' shouted their leader. "'That will do.' "'Ma foi! But they come to our lure like chicks to the fowler. To your arms, men. The pennon behind me, and the squires round the pennon. Stand fast with the anchors in the waist, and be ready for a cast. Now, blow our trumpets, and may God's benison be with the honest men.' As he spoke, a roar of voices and a roll of drums came from either galley, and the water was lashed into spray by the hurried beat of a hundred oars. Down they swooped, one on the right, one on the left, the sides and shrouds black with men, and bristling with weapons. In heavy clusters they hung upon the forecastle, all ready for a spring, faces white, faces brown, faces yellow and faces black, fair Norsemen, swarthy Italians, fierce rovers from the Levant, and fiery moors from the Barbary States, of all hues and countries, and marked solely by the common stamp of a wild beast ferocity. Rasping up on either side, with oars trailing to save them from snapping, they poured in a living torrent, with horrid yell and shrill whoop upon the defenceless merchantmen. But wilder yet was the cry, and shriller still the scream, when there rose up from the shadow of those silent bulwarks the long lines of English bowmen, and the arrows whizzed in a deadly sleet among the unprepared masses upon the pirate decks. From the higher sides of the cog the bowmen could shoot straight down, at a range which was so short as to enable a cloth-yard shaft to pierce through mail-coats, or to transfix a shield, though it were an inch thick of toughened wood. One moment Alan saw the galley's poop crowded with rushing figures, waving arms, exultant faces. The next it was a blood-smeared shambles, with bodies piled three deep upon each other the living cowering behind the dead to shelter themselves from that sudden storm-blast of death. On either side the seamen, whom Sir Nigel had chosen for the purpose, had cast their anchors over the side of the galleys, so that the three vessels, locked in an iron grip, lurched heavily forward upon the swell. And now set in a fell and fierce fight, one of a thousand of which no chronicler has spoken, and no poet sung. Through all the centuries, and over all those southern waters, nameless men have fought in nameless places, their sole monuments a protected coast, and an unravaged countryside. Fore and aft the archers had cleared the galley's decks, 
but from either side the rovers had poured down into the waist, where the seamen and bowmen were pushed back, and so mingled with their foes that it was impossible for their comrades above to draw string to help them. It was a wild chaos, where axe and sword rose and fell, while Englishmen, Norman, and Italians staggered and reeled on a deck which was cumbered with bodies and slippery with blood. The clang of blows, the cries of the stricken, the short, deep shout of the islanders, and the fierce whoops of the rovers rose together in a deafening tumult, while the breath of the panting men went up into the wintry air like the smoke from a furnace. The giant Tete Noire, towering above his fellows and clad from head to foot in plate of proof, led on his boarders, waving a huge mace in the air, with which he struck to the deck every man who approached him. On the other side Spadebeard, a dwarf in height, but of great breadth of shoulder and length of arm, had cut a road almost to the mast, with threescore Genoese men-at-arms close at his heels. Between these two formidable assailants the seamen were being slowly wedged more closely together, until they stood back to back under the mast, with the rovers raging upon every side of them. But help was close at hand. Sir Oliver Butsthorn, with his men-at-arms, had swarmed down from the forecastle, while Sir Nigel, with his three squires, Black Simon, Aylward, Hordle John, and a score more, threw themselves from the poop, and hurled themselves into the thickest of the fight. Alan, as in duty bound, kept his eyes fixed ever on his lord, and pressed forward close at his heels. Often had he heard of Sir Nigel's prowess and skill with all knightly weapons, but all the tales that had reached his ears fell far short of the real quickness and coolness of the man. It was as if the devil was in him, for he sprang here and sprang there, now thrusting and now cutting, catching blows on his shield, turning them with his blade, stooping under the swing of an axe, springing over the sweep of a sword, so swift and so erratic that the man who braced himself for a blow at him might find him 